Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? It's going well. It has been a busy week. Uh, again, it seems like we said that a lot. We do have slow weeks at times in the yes. SBC, but we've got a great, great episode for uh, the listeners today. Amy, we have our first taste of St. Louis from Ronnie Kurtz later in the episode. I am so excited. I can't remember if I said this in our conversations on the podcast or not, but I have two memories of St. Louis when I was 12 years old, riding up in the arch and a Cardinals game where Ozzie Smith did a backflip standing. You've talked about that, I think. Okay. So the the arch is still open. All right. So I didn't know this and he's going to talk about this, but I I know you're going to dig this. Uh, There's a lot of great things in the interview with Ronnie and we'll get to that here shortly. Uh, but a couple of things that stood out that I know that Amy Whitfield's going to like. Number one, the the courthouse across from the arch is the courthouse that the Dred Scott case decision oh, came down on. Oh, wow. And they have the room, I, I, from what Ronnie says, they have the room set up just like it was that day when that came down. So that's that's a must-see for Amy Whitfield. Okay, absolutely, yes. And then the, the city museum, we've actually already talked about that. And we even yes. talked about the basilica, Ronnie and I did, so... Uh, and that, that's the thing that I'm looking forward to seeing. Make sure we need to put in the show notes, like some pictures of the city museum, because I have looked at this and yes. I am fascinated. And that's what Ronnie oh. said. He said, just go to Google and Google image search the city museum. It's amazing. Somebody had sent me a link to that a while back, uh, somebody from St. Louis and I could not get over it. I'm so excited. Yes. So that, that's going to be a couple of must see things. Uh, yes. But yeah, whenever he said that about the Dred Scott case, I was thinking, oh, Amy Whitfield will be all over that. Yep. And Amy, you, you also know what today is, right? What this week, this week's episode is, right? It, this is like a one year? This is the one year anniversary. Wow. You know I love anniversaries. Week. Yes, I know. I know you're a huge anniversary fan. <laughs> so this is our That's one. Exciting. We've been doing this for a year now. We made it. We made it. So we'll shut yes. her down after. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week. No. Uh, but yeah, so everyone, thanks for listening. We, we've, uh, we didn't know how this would go. We didn't know if anybody would tune in and you, uh, fine listeners have done that. So we appreciate that. And we also have a sponsor, Amy, and this week's episode is brought to you by 2028.co. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y-2-8.co powered by Lifeway, the world's largest provider of Christian resources, beautiful, easy to create websites, check powerful, easy to use church management software, check secure, easy to implement online giving, Check. 2028 is here to be your resource provider where technology and ministry meet. They take care of your website, mobile, and giving needs so you can get back to reaching God's people. Start your free 30-day trial today at 2028.co. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y 28.co. All right. So let's get started because we have a lot of news to cover and we want to make sure there's time for the St. Louis preview. Yeah, we've been holding on to some of this news because we wanted to do all the graduations together. So right. um, we, we kind of bunched the state convention recaps together uh, over a few mm-hmm. weeks, uh, but the graduations, we're going to get down to that. But big news coming out this week uh, that yes. Dr. Floyd and other Southern Baptist and evangelical leaders will be meeting with Donald Trump in New York on June the 21st. Yeah, so this is, is coming up. It'll be after uh, the SBC annual meeting. Main people involved that would be familiar to us, uh, as you said, Ronnie Floyd, uh, Jack Graham, pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church, and Ed Young, pastor of Second Baptist Church in Houston. Yeah, not that uh, Ed Young, the other Ed Young. Yeah, Ed Young Sr. Yes. Yes. Uh, they, they're they involved in this as well. Uh, also, Tony Perkins, who is the president of Family Research Council and uh, a Southern Baptist, they... We'll be meeting. It's in New York. It's the, they've made it very clear in all the stories that have come out that this is not designed for an endorsement. It's designed for a, it seems to me, the way I'm reading it, almost just sort of an open-handed discussion. Yeah, so perhaps about 500 leaders. I, I know the invitations have gone out. I've heard from a few people I know that have gotten invites to this. Some of them headed that way, some of them not. But uh, there will be a, a, a lot of eyes on this meeting uh, to say the least, because of uh, yeah. the concerns that have been raised, not just from Southern Baptists, but from, uh, you know, the, you mentioned the, the Family Research Council, uh, United in Purpose, uh, another group there, and, and just a lot of the other groups that have been mentioned and have been uh, active 
in the the political realm over the last few months. The uh, the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Sammy Rodriguez leads that. They're going to be uh, represented there. Liberty University, Regent University, the Tea Party Express, the Frederick Douglass Foundation, and a host of others. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of people uh, keeping an eye on this one. So it's going to be a week after St. Louis. So uh, right. I'm sure that will be something that will be being discussed in the halls in St. Louis. Right. And this isn't anything that's going to be like televised, anything like that. Um, well, I know here... Well, that would be some must-see TV. Yeah, it would. It, n- nothing like that or streaming. This is going to be really an opportunity to have a just to have an open conversation. So we'll be hearing sort of after-the-fact reaction of folks who were in that room uh, just as to how it went. All right, and one of the topics that will probably and more than likely be discussed will be uh, refugee and immigrant care. There's going to be a conference on that uh, here in Tennessee in the fall on August the 26th and 27th. Uh, Your North Carolina Baptists are sponsoring that, uh, spearheading that with a a host of others. And uh, Reaching the Nations is the name of that. It's going to be hosted down at Brentwood Baptist Church in the South Nashville area here. Among the speakers for the event will be Ed Stetzer, Frank Page, J.D. Payne, and Jenny Yang. Essentially, this is is to focus the missions conversation on refugees. So we're talking about this a lot, but it's really a missions conference, like how to do this, how to spread the gospel among all of the refugees as the nations are coming to us. Um, and uh, North Carolina Baptists are really heading this up, but they are doing it in conjunction with the Tennessee Baptist Convention and NAM and uh, the IMB as well. So uh, I'm hearing a lot about that around here just because there are some some folks uh, at our state convention that are doing some work for it, preparing for it. Uh, but I think that's going to be going to be a great thing uh, and a great great opportunity to go and just learn more and be equipped. Looking over a list of the other speakers that will be involved in some of the breakout sections, a couple of names jumped out to me here. Uh, Alan Cross, good mm-hmm. friend of ours uh, yes. from Montgomery, Alabama. Right, does a lot about refugees. Yes, he does. He's done a lot of work on refugees. Uh, Keelan Cook, yes, whom I, I think you know well. I know very well, yes. Keelan is, uh, he, he works at Southeastern. He's part of the Center for Great Commission Studies. And he's done a lot of work specifically about this uh, in the People's Next Door initiative that that goes to cities and helps kind of map the different people groups to know uh, who we are who we are reaching to understand context and he's really developed that tool it's it's a pretty great it's a pretty great thing he's uh, with a group doing that right now also a very affordable conference and, and easy to get to the Nashville area is uh, one of the easiest places to get to in the southeast only a $35 fee for the conference so check that out you can find out all the information at sbcthisweek.com we got a link to that uh, story in Baptist Press. All right, moving on to another story. This one uh, was a bit of a shocker on Monday whenever it dropped, but a children's pastor in the Knoxville area has been arrested as part of a four-day undercover sting by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation uh, with a sex trafficking felony charge. Yeah, so, and, and just to, to really clarify, the sting operation means that um, an advertisement went out. There were responses to the advertisement but it had been placed there by uh, by the the police and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. Um, so that's kind of how that how that happened. But it was a shock, yeah. And then that was kind of the thing that that came out very quickly that someone in the ministry uh, had been arrested in this. Um, the church responded very quickly. Uh, and uh, responded, you know, that his his background check had not shown any issues, that there was a termination. Um, it, it, but still, it just very very startling thing, and kind of brings back the conversation that you had on the podcast a few weeks ago with uh, Bart Barber, and that these types of discussions just continue continue to come up. Yes, and there's there's nothing that'll panic you more. Than getting a news alert from the Nashville, one of the Nashville news stations on your phone that says Tennessee children's pastor arrested in sex trafficking sting. Uh, whenever your yeah. wife is a Tennessee children's pastor, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I was like, what? So it, it kind of uh, it, that one kind of hit a little close to home there, even though we don't know uh, Jason Kennedy and have never met him, and I, I don't even know anybody on staff at Grace Baptist over in Knoxville, but. Um, it, that one, wow, that one sent 
some shockwaves through my house, I guarantee you. Yeah. Moving on to some news coming out of NAM, uh, we mentioned a few weeks ago when we were talking about the upcoming annual meeting that they will be having their disaster relief uh, vehicles yeah. at the Southern Baptist annual meeting in St. Louis. Uh, they actually got an award for some of the stuff they've been doing. They were recently awarded an award for some of the disaster relief by the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster uh, group uh, the, at the conference in Minneapolis this past week, and they were awarded the member of the year by this group. That's that's pretty incredible. Their reputation is is pretty unbelievable. I mean, this reminds me of the the situation a few years ago where I think it was Brian Williams and uh, Harry Smith were both commenting, and, and I I believe it was the natural disasters in Oklahoma. But they were talking about how basically the Baptist uh, disaster relief groups had shown up and that they had shown up immediately and quickly and they were on the ground, you know, just with with such a fast response. And part of that is because of the great uh, mobilization and preparation of our disaster relief uh, teams. And so NAM's a a huge leader uh, in that. Um, here's a little trivia thing for you. I don't know if he was the original person to coordinate disaster relief, but uh, Leah Finn, uh, wife of Nathan Finn, who's at Union, her father was over disaster relief at NAM uh, for quite for several years uh, before his before he passed away. Um, but that's the first time I ever heard of it was when I met when I met him and they just have done great work for a long time. Yeah. It's one of the things that, you know, NAM has two main prongs right now. They have the, the sin cities and sin relief. So those are the two main thrusts from NAM right now. And, uh, uh, it, you know, it's kind of cool to see them being awarded for that and you get to see it in action. Well, maybe not in action, but you'll get to see the, the mobile dental and medical units up there in St. Louis. So that'll be something uh, worth checking out. And I'm sure it'll be highlighted at the NAM lunch on that Monday too. Yeah. Very good. All right, to Missouri we go. Interesting news. This is something that I have been following personally for the last 10 to 15 years because it has been just fascinating to watch. The Missouri Appeals Court this week ordered that the Missouri Baptist Convention's governance of the Missouri Baptist Foundation must be restored. This stems from actions by breakaway trustees of the foundation that has $150 million in assets. Wow. And four other Missouri Baptist Convention entities that that jumped away to create self-perpetuating uh, entities uh, and boards back in 2000, 2001. So this has been going on for about 15 years. And uh, they had self-appointed, self-perpetuating trustee boards. So basically they would govern themselves. The Missouri Baptist Convention had nothing on that. Uh, the appeals court in its ruling stated that the convention has standing to challenge the foundation's disregard of provisions of its organizational documents, which gave the convention the right to review and approve any amendments. So basically after all of this, 15 years later, the Missouri Baptist Foundation is back under uh, the umbrella of the Missouri Baptist Convention. So it's been a challenging 15 years, and it's good to maybe see some of the, the resolutions come from this and, and allow Missouri Baptists to kind of move on from uh, what has been, I'm sure, a very difficult 15 years. This and the Missouri Baptist Foundation, the Winterman Baptist Conference Center, which is spectacular, by the way. I've, I've been there. Um, it's one of the nicest conference centers in the SBC, or at least wow. was when I went there about 10 years ago. So This is crazy. I'm really glad that you talked about this and have been following this for 15 years because I didn't know anything about this until oh. today. So, yeah. Well, uh, it, it stems from the fact that I went to Windermere about 10 years ago, oh, and, okay. so and then I started it. seeing stuff. So you start seeing news about a place that you've been to and, and kind of made an impression on you. So I've just yeah. been kind of following it you know, to the side. So That's um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. So big news uh, in Missouri for sure. Yes. Uh, the Missouri Baptists uh, have the foundation back. So, yeah. And Amy, we've got some more research from Life of Research this week about prison ministry, uh, something I know that uh, is near and dear to the hearts of uh, a couple seminaries here in the SBC. They do a lot with prison ministry and actually set the standard for prison ministry uh, when it comes to seminaries. But some fascinating research this week from LifeWay Research on churches and prison ministry. Yeah, so what it really showed, this was a, a phone survey, 1,000 Protestant senior pastors. So this is among Protestant pastors. And 
one of those where you have a disconnect between what we know we should do and what we actually do. Yeah. Um, so what they found was just widespread support for the idea of prison ministry. Um, so 83% of pastors have visited, personally visited a correctional facility, and nearly all of them believe churches should help families of those and provide care, like 97% uh, helping families of those incarcerated and 95% providing care uh, for those who are coming out. But what they found is that pastors have little contact with those who have been incarcerated. You say prison ministry is a priority, you say, but what, as uh, Scott McConnell said, when half the pastors haven't had someone from their church to jail, then prison ministry isn't on their radar. You know, they say in high numbers that you should be helping people as they're getting out. But if you can't, then the numbers don't match up. You should be seeing more people. That's kind of how it's working. So, you know, we have a, we're having a lot of conversations about how high uh, the rates are uh, of those who are in prison. So this is a really uh, timely thing. Yeah, there's a lot of information in here. I, one question that I, I wish they had asked, and maybe they did and I just didn't see it in here, is does your church have a formalized prison ministry? Uh, yeah. Because while you know, ninety-seven percent think that it's important to help the families of the incarcerated. I, I doubt ninety-seven percent of churches have yeah. some type of ministry or or something set up for that. So I, I would be fascinated to see that number. I, I would. My guess is that it would be in the if it's in the teens. That would be high. I would think. Right. Right. Another insightful study from Lifeway Research, and that's going to move us on to our seminary graduation stories. Uh, starting off with Golden Gate, the last, possibly, Amy, I, I got to throw that caveat in there, possibly the last graduation ever for Golden Gate. Are you planning to dissent? No, I'm just saying it's it's not a done deal until it's a done deal. I, I've learned That's that true. in the it's SBC that you never count things as official until they are official. That's right. But we think. We think all, all all things are pointing to it's gonna it, it's gonna be a transition, and so. The plan is it was the last commencement service of Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah, 262 graduates this spring. Wow, that's really great. Those are, are great numbers. I know it was a very special time for everyone. Can't wait to see sort of what's coming for them. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see the first class next year of potentially Gateway, Gateway. Seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention. All right, moving on to Midwestern. Uh, another big graduating class from Midwestern. They continue to see... Uh, growth by leaps and bounds over there. 120 students and one diploma from the Midwestern Women's Institute. Go find out about the uh, Midwestern Women's Institute in our interview we had with Karen Allen uh, last month, uh, Dr. Allen's wife, uh, who runs that. So 120 graduates from Midwestern and a charge to finish well given to them from Dr. Allen. Yeah, and and, uh, one thing that jumped out uh, to, to us here in Wake Forest was that part of that graduation ceremony at Midwestern was the announcement of the professor of the year. And uh, this year's recipient was Alan Branch, uh, who is a professor of Christian ethics. He's been there for 15 years and has served in a a variety of roles, uh, VP of student development at one time. And so he's just done a lot of things, but he is a a PhD graduate of Southeastern uh, Seminary. So that was uh, jumped up on our radar, was hitting a lot of news uh, alerts that we have. And so we were very proud uh, to see uh, Dr. Branch. Down in New Orleans, 241 graduates uh, combined from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminaries and Level College. Uh, that's 138 from the seminary, 103 from the college. And included in that was a DMIN recipient, Andrew Anderson, who's yeah. a squadron chaplain with the U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division, uh, whose project drew from his actual military service. I know this this jumps out. Uh, you, you see these programs and they have all the titles. Now, this one they, they have in the Baptist Press article, but you see the titles and typically your demon projects because they're doing the projects in their churches are, you know, doing something, uh, d- developing this program or, or whatever at, and they list the name of their church. You know, well, his was developing the skill of life application preaching for soldier spiritual resilience at Warrior Chapel. Baghdad, Iraq. So his project was really tied into what he was doing on the ground uh, there. I'm, I'm sure that was a, a fascinating thing. And so he received his his D-men uh, for that. And uh, yeah. 
quite possibly the first Southern Baptist demon project based in Iraq. I don't have the data been. for that to back that up, but it's yeah. it's possible, I guess. But it could have been. It could have been. All right, moving on over to uh, your neck of the woods, Amy. I'll let you cover this one. Two hundred and thirty-seven graduates from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary this year. Uh, yeah, it was just a great day, as you said. Two hundred thirty-seven students total. We had the seminary graduation in the morning and college graduation in uh, the in the afternoon. Oh, so you had two different ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the same day. Yes. That's going to be a long did. day. Makes for a very busy day, particularly for the faculty. Uh, it's it's always very, very hectic for them, uh, but it's good. It's my favorite. It's my favorite day of the semester. Just uh, watching all of it happen. It's just so exciting. There's so much joy in the air. Uh, we had a couple of EDD uh, graduates that were, were very interesting. Uh, Jennifer Barnett, who is uh, in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and she is a Native American, and she actually serves in the Native American community and focused on uh, me- focused on mentoring college students in that uh, in that community. And so that was a, a very unique unique thing. And then uh, also there was a, a senior pastor of New Covenant Methodist Church in Hamilton, New Jersey, and he came to. Uh, Southeastern to do his EDD so that he could contribute to Christian education in Liberia. And he's going back to Liberia to do that. So that was just a very interesting thing to see in in that cohort. We had a a special story on those graduates, but it was a great day. Over to Louisville, where 284 master and doctoral students from 44 states and 15 countries received their degrees. Just a massive number right there. And a week earlier, they had had 150 graduates uh, from Boyce College. And in what is possibly the most picturesque of all graduation ceremonies, oh, uh, man. the pictures coming out of that thing uh, a couple weeks ago, just spectacular. Yeah. Well, I was, but now th- this was the Boyce graduation you're talking about, right? Did well, you see the pictures of the seminary graduation? The seminary graduation was fantastic. Rain? Well, it was, it was raining, but just right. the layout of everything oh, and the facilities, be- yeah. just gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, but the rain, I mean, I was, I think Matt Hall tweeted a picture of kind of the overcast skies in the morning. And I was, I thought, oh no, this is not good. And I was sort of holding my breath for him here from Wake Forest. But then you saw these really just beautiful pictures of them with umbrellas and everyone's just still out there um, celebrating. So uh, very, very special time. And another story uh, that was coming out of Southern at the same time, is there are three professors retired from Southern Seminary these last few weeks as well. Uh, T. Vaughn Walker, David Puckett, and Brian Richardson. And uh, they were all all three very, very wonderful men. I have such respect for them. Uh, But a sort of unique unique thing is uh, Dr. Vaughn Walker came in 1986 uh, and he was elected in 1997, uh, but he was the first black professor at any of the six SBC seminaries. Um, I remember when I was there at a, a, a trustee dinner, we celebrated, you know, people who had been there for so long, and we celebrated his 25th year at the seminary. And so just seeing him retire, he's a, a just an honorable wonderful man. So uh, seeing seeing the three of them, David Puckett, a history professor, Brian Richardson, Christian education, I was just really touched and uh, wished them all the best. But uh, Dr. Walker was a, made a lot of history and uh, kind of paved the way for some of the professors in our SBC seminaries. Yes, I saw a couple of tweets, uh, one from Kevin Smith uh, yeah. that mentioned that and everything that he had meant to uh, to Kevin. Uh, because you know, if it, it wasn't for guys like that, Kevin, you know, he he's he's riding on the roads that were paved uh, right. by by those guys before him. So, yes. uh, congratulations again! Uh, Thirty years of service at yep. Southern Seminary. So, just fantastic. And rounding out our graduation stories are the two hundred and eight college masters and doctoral graduates from. Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. Yeah, that uh, looks like that was a really special day. Uh, one special group they pointed out uh, was a couple who were the parents of a PhD student, and they graduated with their Master of Theological Studies degrees uh, together. And uh, it says 50 years ago, they studied at uh, the Baptist Seminary in Columbia under uh, the tutorship of missionaries who had graduated from Southwestern. So they uh, they retired 
from their ministry, and then they came uh, to Southwestern and uh, have gotten their own MTS degree. So I know that was an exciting, exciting thing for that family. Um, so big day. This is just a great time of year for all of our institutions. So that rounds out the news this week. That's going to bring us to our interview with Ronnie Kurtz. Uh, before we get to the interview with Ronnie, I do want to mention and remind you of 2028, our sponsor for this episode. And we're glad to have those guys on. For all your technology needs in the church and ministry, visit 2028.co. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y 28.co. Now our interview with Ronnie Kurtz. This week on SBC This Week, we're joined by Ronnie Kurtz. Ronnie is an MDiv student at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary over in Kansas City, Missouri, but he is a St. Louis, Missouri native, and we've asked him to join us today to really give us just kind of an overview of St. Louis and, and the Gateway City and just let us know you know, what we should expect when we show up in a couple weeks over there in St. Louis for the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. Thanks for joining us, Ronnie. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, man. So tell us, uh, what do we what do we do? What do we eat at St. Louis? Uh, just give us the the lowdown, man. I'll start by saying uh, when when Jonathan asked me to to do this interview, he asked if I would talk about St. Louis for the Southern Baptist Convention, and I said, Jonathan, you might as well have asked me to tell the greatest denomination in the world about the greatest city in the world, and I'm convinced of that. I love St. Louis. And my response was that you're not, we're not talking about Nashville. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so anyways, back to the greatest city in the world, St. Louis. We, there, there, there's so much to do in the city. Uh, if you know much about St. Louis, it is the gateway city. It's a historic city. Uh, so there's, there's things, if you're a history buff, there's things to do. If, if you're a uh, 20-something, there's things to do. If you're an 80-something, there's things to do. And so the SBC will primarily be taking place downtown. And so I'll just stick uh, in this interview to things that are relatively close to that. I would say within 15 minutes driving uh, around there, uh, but but even even within downtown, and just in terms of attractions, we'll, we'll get to food and all that stuff, which is very important in St. Louis in a minute. Uh, but I mean, obviously, the arch is is very important to see. It's, it's under construction right now, and so Highway 44 runs right in front of the arch, and uh, it separates at the arch. There's actually right across the street is the old courthouse. And if you're a history buff, that's important to see too. They, that's where the Dred Scott case happened. And if you know your history, that's where um, slaves were no longer considered property. It happened in St. Louis. And, and the, the room that that happened in that case happened is still set up exactly how it was. And that's separated. It's right across the street from the arch by Highway 44. And they're actually taking the grass underneath of the arch all the way to the old courthouse. And so if you go to the arch during the SBC, it'll probably... Uh, be filled like a, look like a construction site, but it's still still worthwhile seeing. If you have, I think, it costs fifteen bucks to get to the top of the arch, and it's just an outstanding view on either side. You can see across the Mississippi into Illinois, or you can look overlook downtown St. Louis. So the arch is obviously a must uh, at some point. If you have kids, or if you yourself are kind of kiddish, you must go to the St. Louis City Museum. It's not like any museum you've ever been to, and uh, it actually, in fact, if you're hearing this podcast, I would highly recommend just Googling pictures of the St. Louis City Museum while I talk about it, because it's hard to explain what it is. It's about a six, seven-story building where <clears throat> artists from all over the world have gotten recycled trash, and they've made art out of it, and the entire building is climbable, literally. So outside, there's about a six-story, seven-story jungle gym of just kind of coiled wire you can climb through. There's, there's gutted airplanes that are suspended about six stories in the air that you can walk through. There's a Ferris wheel on the roof. There's a bus hanging halfway off of the roof of the city museum. There's an eight-story spiral slide. Once, you, once you've climbed your way to the top of the building, there's an eight-story eight story spiral slide to go back down. Uh, there's just so much. It's one of those places where you'll be walking through and – all of a sudden, a 10-year-old kid will pop through the hole in the floor, and you'll ask him where he came from, and he'll say the fourth floor, and it seems like a mystery how he got there. So it's just, it's just a magical place. It, it, is, it, is, it does cost. It's not free. I think it's about uh, $15 last time I was there, but it's probably my favorite place in St. Louis just in terms of fun. And um, even if you're an adult, I, I would say it's worth going to. So I would definitely check that out. Uh, the Botanical Gardens, uh, the Missouri Botanical Gardens is in St. Louis. So if, you're, if you like nature, that's there. They've got all kinds of flowers and birds and butterflies. It's kind of going to be swarmed with butterflies while you're there. It's beautiful grass, pond. 
Uh, Forest Park is a, is a major, major national park in St. Louis. That's where the St. Louis Zoo is. And you might not know this about the St. Louis Zoo, but it's the second largest zoo in America. And it's free, totally free. You can go in. Um, they have basically everything you could want. They even just got a new polar bear exhibit. This so last a free year. zoo. That's pretty yeah, cool. free zoo. Paste and a good free zoo. Yeah, huge ones. But as far as I know, it's second only to San Diego Zoo. So it's a huge zoo. Uh, you probably would have a hard time doing it all in one day, just to be honest. Yeah. So when you get to the zoo, figure out what animals you want to see and get there. And the zoo is actually in a part of downtown St. Louis called Forest Park. And that's also where the botanical gardens are. Uh, and Forest Park itself is just a, is a big national park. Uh, the Science Center is there. I'm sorry, botanical gardens is not in Forest Park, but the Science Center is. The Science Center is also free. Uh, if you have kids, this would be a great place to go. In, or if you're just into that kind of thing, um, the Science Center is a free place to go. You can have, basically, you can be a part of experiments in the Science Center. And so they have like these rooms where they have these really cool science experiments set up. And you get to interact with them and be involved in them. And, and it's just a cool, little, it's a cool little thing to do for free as well. And then there's just a lot, of, a lot of really cool shopping around that area if you're into that. So, that, for instance, the Soulard Market is going to be really close to where we are. The Soulard Market is one of the oldest farmer's markets in, in America and definitely one of the oldest in the Midwest. And it's open almost every day. I don't know off the top of my head what days it's closed. But I know on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays it's open. Just a ginormous farmer's market in downtown St. Louis. Really cool. A ton of cultures kind of collide at the Soulard Market, which is something I enjoy. Uh, the Central West End connects to downtown. Uh, the Central West End would be it's, – it's a really neat area. You're going to see um, mansions, literally in like a major estates, right next to really trendy shops and boutiques. And it's just a really old uh, kind of French-style neighborhood in St. Louis. It's really cool to see. Uh, and then uh, my favorite part of St. Louis to hang out in is called the Del Mar Loop or University City Loop. And the Del Mar Loop uh, is a, just a really cool it, – it's, it's literally a loop of a street. Um, I, I would guess maybe a mile, mile and a half, two miles of nothing but really uh, great restaurants and stores and shops and things to see. And so like if, if I have just some free time in St. Louis, I'll just go park my car at the loop and then walk around. You'll see street performers and – Hundreds of people outside, depending on the weather, and just kind of cool shops and things like that. So just a few things to do downtown. Uh, I can I can expand on any of those more. Right, one thing that I want you to talk about, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, is the Basilica in St. Louis. Yeah, so the Basilica is, is a well-known St. Louis. Uh, you might not know this, but it's heavily Catholic. Uh, it, it, St. Louis is a sinned city, if you're familiar with that terminology. Uh, so there, there's a major number of unreached people groups in St. Louis, but the Basilica. Uh, it's, it's kind of actually a good representation of the St. Louis St. Louis Catholicism. It's it's there, it's prevalent, but when you go to the Basilica, you see how dead it is. Um, beautiful to see. Many people will be there just looking around, but it's it's just about nothing more than a tourist attraction at this point. But it is worth seeing just because of the beauty of it. Yeah, it's it's one of my. I, I just kind of stumbled upon it last time I was in St. Louis, and and just was driving by and saw it when. And it said something about, you know, open for self-guided tours. And I'm like, well, I've got a few minutes. So I wheeled okay. in, and I was blown away. Yeah, it's blown worth away. it. Absolutely. All right. Now, we, we, those are really good, Ronnie, man. Like, I'm, I'm, like, wishing that I had a couple of extra days now because yeah. there's a lot. I, there's, you brought up some things that I didn't even know uh, existed. I'm going to have to check out the Soulard Market. That looks look really cool. But yeah. the, uh, the thing that I, I really want to talk about is the food. So yes. I know there's a big Italian presence in St. Yeah. Louis. Everybody's going to talk about Ted Drew's. Of course. Um, and then what I think is probably one of my favorite restaurants is Pappy's Smokehouse. Yeah, the, there you go. The uh, barbecue uh, there right. is just top Those notch, are fighting so. words for me saying anything about barbecue being here in Kansas City, but Pappy's Barbecue is some of the best in the world. Yeah, so talk to us about the food, man. Yeah, uh, I love St. Louis food. I, I, I will start with Italian because St. Louis is known for its Italian food. Uh, there, there's a little uh, area of St. Louis called The Hill. It's over by a portion of St. Louis called the Tower Grove Park, um, which is a, a great, really neat part of St. Louis. Um, a lot of 20-somethings would be really interested in, in Tower Grove Park. It's an up-and-coming artsy district. But right next to Tower Grove Park, you're actually going to run into a place called The Hill. And The Hill is, is a, a, basically a small slice of Italy in St. Louis. It's close to Kings Highway near downtown. And there's just 
tons of authentic Italian restaurants there. So one of the things St. Louis is known for is uh, toasted ravioli. And so if you talk to any St. Louisian, they're going to talk about Provel cheese, ooey gooey butter cake, Ted Drew's, and toasted ravioli. Those are the and, and maybe Gus's ooey gooey plans. butter cake. Ooey gooey butter cake. That's right. Yeah, which sounds right, like, writing that down. Exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> writing that one down. Terrible for you. Tastes amazing. Uh, but toasted ravioli is really popular in St. Louis. Just about any restaurant you go to, that's going to be one of the appetizer choices, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's going to be just ravioli with different kinds of meat stuffed in it. That's all toasted. But it's that's really big over at the hill. And so if you're into Italian food, uh, not only are these like Italian restaurants, but they're they are hundreds, literally hundreds of displaced Italians who have made residence in St. Louis who, who own these and operate these restaurants. So it's not just kind of, you know, American knockoffs of Italian Yeah, it's food. The, the true stuff. That's right. It's real Italian. So, and then uh, you can't talk about St. Louis food without talking about pizza. Yeah, St. Louis, some people might not know this, but we have our own style of pizza. And what I've learned is it's loved by St. Louisans and not quite so loved by outsiders. But if you're an outsider who loves it, you need to find a local and tell them you love it and give them a high five. St. Louis pizza is uh, famous for a few things. One, it's extremely thin crust. We call it cracker crust, about as thin as you're going to find. All of, it's always going to be cut in squares. Uh, the, the, the toppings are going to go underneath of the cheese. And then the cheese is what makes St. Louis pizza St. Louis pizza. It's called Provel cheese. And it's actually a blend of provolone, Swiss, and cheddar. And so it's got a really unique flavor, and some people aren't – like my wife hates Provel cheese, but I could eat my way in it. So uh, St. Louis pizza, the chain that everyone would know about is Emo's Pizza, but there's a, there's a ton of pizza places around. And so you'll also find – you'll, you'll learn uh, – sorry to any of the Chicago listeners, but St. Louis and Chicago kind of have a rivalry. And so deep dish Chicago-style pizza tends to not show up in St. Louis – but if you're around the hill, you'll find some great Illinois, Chicago-style pizza as well. And then, of course, Ted Drew's frozen custard. Uh, we, we found the thing that is worse for you than ice cream, and it's custard. And, uh, it's, but it's delicious. It is so good and so worth the bad health choice. And then Pappy Smokehouse, again, is something that you'd have to try. So th- those would be the places I would recommend. My, my favorite restaurant in St. Louis, this is a bit surprising to some, but it's actually in South City, and it's a deli. Uh, it's called Blues City Deli. Uh, it is a wonderful – you're going to probably get into a line. Uh, St. Louis is known for blues music, as you probably know by our hockey team, the St. Louis Blues, uh, who just ended their season last night, sadly. But uh, blues is, is a big part of St. Louis history and culture. And so at Blue City Deli, it's a, it's a small kind of – you're really lucky if you get a table, but they'll have live blues a lot of time. My favorite, favorite restaurant in Kansas City, or St. Louis is Blue City Deli. Uh, and most importantly, what I love about St. Louis – food and culture is the coffee. Uh, this is probably something that you yeah, talk to me. Talk to me. Yeah, aren't aware of Jonathan and maybe our listeners aren't, but St. Louis has uh, a couple of nationally ranked coffee shops within the top five, actually, uh, nationally ranked coffee shops. And that's primarily for roasting. And if you're into like pour overs or things like that, St. Louis is the place to be. So to the two coffee shops, I would recommend that if you're a coffee drinker, you have to try both of these and then find a way to tell me which one you like more, because I'd love to know. Uh, one is in the Del Mar Loop and it's called Blueprint Coffee. It's a outstanding coffee. And if you're at Blueprint, you're in a really cool part. So just park your car, get a cup of coffee at Blueprint, and just walk around. And then the other one uh, that's a nationally ranked coffee shop is called Sump. That's S-U-M-P, Sump Coffee in South City. And Sump Coffee and Blue City Deli, my favorite restaurant, are only about a mile apart, maybe two miles apart. So go get an amazing sandwich with Provel cheese at Blue City Deli and then get the best cup of coffee you'll ever have at Sump Coffee. All right, man. Well, that's – man, you got me really excited. I'm, I'm like trying to figure out now how I can get there in a week earlier just to try all these places, man. This is fantastic. So you're making this very, very difficult for me. Um, I am coming in a couple of days early, but I just don't know if I'm going to have enough time to be able to, to hit all these. One real quick thing. Talk to us about St. Louis, just the city in general. Uh, maybe just give us some of the history. I know it has the, the strong Italian flair, a strong Catholic influence as well, uh, hence the name, St. Louis. And also you've, you've got a, a very, I, I'm guessing, a strong French connection in the city as well. Just give us a little bit about the, the kind of the feel for the city because the, the times I've been there, it, it feels like if you took New Orleans and like Chicago and just like shoved them together. Yeah, that's probably a good assessment, actually. Uh, St. Louis is is uh, is unique in in a lot of ways, but one of the ways is the people. Uh, you're right. There's a huge Italian population in in, in St. Louis. There's also a really large German 
population in St. Louis. What happened was uh, World War II, basically, when if a lot, if any of the Germans didn't want to f- fight for Germany, a lot of them uh, relocated to St. Louis. And so my last name, K-U-R-T-Z, is very German. My family's very German. Uh, and you'll find that a lot in St. Louis. It's any good German places in the city? You know, I'm sure there are. I, I actually, this is going to be a bad thing for a lot of our listeners, but I actually really do not like German food. And so I'm sure my dad will be disappointed when he hears this, that I didn't recommend some of his favorite German places. But uh, so I'm sure Google could help you better there. But uh, uh, so there's a lot of German influence in the city. And the city is really diverse. I mean, you're basically in the middle of the country. Uh, and so you're, you're, you're getting um, refugees, if you will. You're getting just relocated individuals um, from, from all over. So there's a, there's a major Bosnian um, population in downtown. There's actually Bosnian churches there in downtown St. Louis that are doing really, really great stuff. Um, St. Louis is a very, very dark city in terms of gospel presence. They're just, um, it's a difficult city to be in. It feels, it's, it's an older brick city. So the city feels a bit hard, if you will. Uh, personalities are going to feel that way. And um, many St. Louisans are just skeptical of Christianity. They, they've seen it They've seen what they thought was Christianity in terms of the Catholics, and uh, they got burned by that, and so they're skeptical that you're any different. And so any any pastors or planters in St. Louis can, can attest to that. It's just not an easy place for ministry to flourish. Um, St. Louis is, is really metropolitan-based. So, so the metropolitan area of St. Louis has close to 3 million people. It's about 2.8, 2.9 million people, and only about 350,000 of them live downtown. And so the downtown area of St. Louis... Uh, isn't super populated. It's about, like I said, 350,000, and it, it's the rest is scattered throughout St. Louis. So that's why if you grew up in St. Louis like I did, the very first question you get when you're from St. Louis is, what high school did you go to? And because that, that's because the city is so spread out in terms of suburbs and things like that, that, uh, that, that tells you more than where if you're actually from St. Louis. And so, um, and so you'll see that. Uh, and St. Louis, unfortunately, is known for uh, being a relatively dangerous city um, in terms of, you know, um, pickpocketing, mugging, things like that. Uh, I, I, I haven't experienced that personally. I'm probably just being smart in where I go. Um, and so, so it is just, it's a, it's a harder, it's a darker, and it feels like a cold city. Um, that doesn't take away from how amazing it is, but that's just the reality of, of the city. A lot of history, a lot of diversity. All right. Last question. Give us like the one thing, if, if people only have time to do one thing, what is it? I mean, like, what is the one thing they've got to do when they go to St. Louis? Man, that's hard. I would say if you're a uh, if you're a twenty something year old like myself, or if you're a social butterfly, go to the Del Mar Loop and just walk around. If you're a history buff, go to the Arch and and the old courthouse. And if you're just an adventurous type, go to the City Museum. Okay. All right, man. Well, thanks, man. I thank you so much for joining us, Ronnie. I can't wait to see you in St. Louis. Man, you've got me excited for the city. So I, I know. Uh, our listeners will be as well. Uh, so thanks again, man, and we'll talk to you later. All right, thank you, Jonathan, and go Cardinals. All right, that was awesome. It was a great interview. I cannot wait to get to St. Louis. Uh, the weekend before everything starts, we're going to have a little bit more free time, so maybe I will have to check out that toasted ravioli. Yes, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I mean, wow. It's <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Why do we care so much about the food? I, because it's awesome. Because we don't get that here. And it's sad because people come to Nashville for the food and they come to Wake Forest. No, they don't come to Wake Forest for the food. Sorry. Uh, but they come to Nashville for the food. Um, no, you have don't. the Angus Barn in Raleigh. We have Charlie's Kebabs. It's great. And Shuckers. Yeah, we have Charlie's Kebabs. <laughs> Shuckers is just kind of normal. but I'm not going to tell Dr. Aiken you said that about his favorite place. It's great. It's great. But it's just kind of standard. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, we have Husk here. Yeah, fine. All right, yeah, we win. That's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. This one should be unique and special for you. Now, I we're kind of fudging a little bit on the date because I can't confirm for certain that this is this week in SBC history. You actually threw this one out to me. Typically, I surprise you. Uh, but you uh, sent me word that I think something had popped up in a meeting discussion, maybe at Lifeway, that on May 26th, I think, uh, 1891, that it was the first 
meeting, official meeting of the Baptist Sunday School Board uh, at First Baptist Church in Nashville. Now, I've done some digging because I was trying to find something to link to. I couldn't really find a great piece. What I saw uh, in Lifeway Legacy by Jimmy Draper uh, was showing May 29th uh, for the Board of Trustees. So, you know, it could be this coming Sunday. It could be this week. We're just going to call it and say it was this week in SBC history. So the Baptist Sunday School Board had been officially established in the uh, Birmingham meeting uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention, which had been a few weeks before. But then uh, the meeting actually beginning it of the Board of Trustees was in Nashville uh, later on in May. And so, uh, Jonathan, there you are, uh, settled in Nashville, doing great with this uh, fantastic career that you have. And it all started this week in SBC history, 125 years ago. That's amazing. And we, we just had our 125th anniversary celebration uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, broke ground on the new building. I mean, so much going on. Uh, Dr. Frost, I, I'm hoping that he would be proud of the legacy that he started uh, back in 1891. Yeah, and, and uh, we're about to do our resources, but I'll throw out in that since we don't really have a, a link to an article uh, but the the book Lifeway Legacy by Jimmy Draper is actually a very good resource. I read it not long after starting to work at Lifeway, and I learned a ton. It helped me understand it uh, so much better. Yeah, and I have uh, read it as well. A fascinating recollection of the history. Yeah, it's really uh, and good. there's just so much back in there that that people really don't know about it. It's one of those that it's you just can't believe what all has gone on in 125 years. And some of the, what I found funny was some of the departments, some of the, the, the emphases that Lifeway had 40, 50, 60, 80 years ago. And you kind of wonder, right now, what, what are we doing today that in 80 years, people will think, well, why were they doing that? So, right. uh, Right. Some of those kind of things. It's very good. Gives a lot of context. It showed you how much churches and church resources have changed in 125 years. Yes. So I would highly recommend that. All right. That's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, I I know you've got some big news for your resource of the week here. I know. Um, So we are excited at Southeastern to share the news uh, that we have a new seminary hymn. And uh, that is, uh, it's a, it's a song called For the Cause. It was written by uh, Keith and Kristen Getty and Stuart Townend. It's part of their new album that's coming out, Facing a Task Unfinished. And I got a, a look at the liner notes uh, the other day where there is a, a dedication in there to uh, Southeastern Seminary and Dr. Danny Aiken. Uh, but we're also going to be using it as our official hymn. The news has come out this week and uh, we have a, a music video that is at our site, uh, and a, a little little clip of, of Keith Getty sort of talking about the thoughts behind the song. Uh, so we, we've got some special edition singles coming that we'll be distributing. And so I'm going to throw that out there. People can go and, uh, and watch the video and hear, hear the song, kind of get their first listen to it, and then uh, they can buy the whole album, Facing a Task Unfinished, or come and get the single of our special edition uh, from us. So very excited. I can't just can't get over the incredible resource, uh, the the incredible gift that uh, Keith and Kristen Getty have been uh, just to the church at large. And they continue to do that. Yeah. And that album that you mentioned, facing a task unfinished, a fantastic album. Yeah. It's not available yet. I I happen to have a pre-release copy. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, I know Keith, and he gave me a copy a few weeks ago. But yes. it's phenomenal. Just they recorded it, uh, some live versions and live parts of it here right. in Nashville. Dropped some uh, some other stuff into it, and just over the top, incredible. I, I, it's one of the favorites. It's one that I'm playing. Uh, there's a, a kind of a lullaby type song at the end that Kristen had uh, written to her girls, and uh, it's become kind of a nightly ritual in the Howe House whenever I'm putting down uh, a couple of the kiddos. So. Uh, they really enjoy that. So it, it's a fantastic resource as well. Uh, speaking of fantastic resources, a, a new book from Dr. Jason Allen. We mentioned him quite a few times today on the SBC in the 21st century. Now, this thing just came to my office today. I had a chance to flip through it, uh, and it was based on the symposium that he hosted at Midwestern 
uh, Baptist Theological Seminary last fall. Dr. Rayner took part in that. I was actually there. Uh, just a fantastic time we had up on the campus of Midwestern Seminary. He took the presentations and put those together in a book, edited those together, and added some as well. So uh, a lot of contributors that you would recognize, John Mark Yates, uh, Owen Strayan, Tom Rayner, Paige Patterson, Ronnie Floyd, Christian George, Danny Aiken, Walter Strickland, David Dockery, uh, and a host of others. Dr. Allen has one in there, Dr. Moeller. Uh, so there's just so many good essays in there on uh, the SBC, where she's been, where she is, and where she is headed uh, for the future. So I r- highly recommend that. You, you talked about the, the Lifeway Legacy book. Uh, this one is a little bit different. It's not a narrative history of the SBC, but it, it also it, it really encompasses the, the spirit of the SBC and, and where uh, we're headed into the future. So uh, it's a fantastic book. Pick it up. Uh, we're going to be giving away copies of it as well at the Midwestern Seminary Lunch, uh, the For the Church Lunch on Tuesday at the convention. So uh, come get you a copy of that. Sign up for that free lunch at Midwestern. Uh, we've, we've talked about all the, the free stuff. Uh, the NAM Lunch, I don't know if you saw that this week. They're expecting to be sold out. So if you're trying to get tickets and want to go to that NAM Lunch on Monday at SBC, get those tickets now. The IMB has a dinner on Monday night now. You can get tickets to that. Dinner in the Dome um, if with the IMB and uh, hear about what's going on with their Global Cities Initiative. And then Tuesday morning, replicate breakfast. Tuesday at lunch, you've got an option between B21 or the For the Church lunch. And then on Wednesday morning, you've got options between the Lifeway breakfast and the Women's Leadership breakfast, sponsored by Southeastern and NAM. And then on Wednesday afternoon uh, for lunch, all the seminaries have their alumni luncheons. Uh, those are going to be fantastic. I cannot wait. Uh, that's six meals, seven meals right there, I think, uh, at least six meals, I think, Amy, that you can eat with your uh, fellow Southern Baptists uh, at the convention center, not have to stand in lines or restaurants around the area. So, But if for is, some reason it sells out, toasted yeah, ravioli. Toasted ravioli. All the other things that we mentioned in Ronnie's interview, um, all the Italian places, the Pappy Smokehouse, uh, the deli that Ronnie mentioned as well. So, I mean, there's, I'm really looking forward to St. Louis, Amy. It's going to be fun. So, well, it's almost here. It's almost here. We're only about two and a half weeks away, less than 20 days. It'll be here before you know it, and then we'll be looking at uh, Phoenix in 2017. So, uh, thanks again for joining us this week on SBC This Week, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.